what you mentioned. It's about the systems biology approach. One of my favorite quotes from Dr. Mark Hyman is when he talks about functional medicine is he said that with functional medicine, we aim to uncover the laws of biology. So you want to treat the human body as an ecosystem and, um, and it's about creating health, not curing illness. Yeah. So instead of, um, instead of being, because uh, the human body is so fascinating and it's so complex and there are laws and rules that are, in which it's governed by, right? Biochemical rules right. and bio, yeah. biology rules. So I think when we try to, under, when we understand those and we work with them, we work with those laws and we optimize them, we can achieve wellness. And this is the, the, whole, um, the whole premise of functional medicine. Welcome to the Full Capacity Living Podcast. I'm your host, Karen Bush. As a board-certified integrative and functional medicine health coach, I work with physicians and clients across the country to create healthy habits that stick. The mission of this podcast is to empower you, the listener, to take charge of your own health and to shift the healthcare paradigm one conversation at a time. Each episode digs deep into health and wellness informed through the lens of integrative and functional medicine. I talk to those in the trenches doing the work and sharing ideas. You will hear from cutting-edge leaders and everyday people making the world and our lives better each moment through nutrition, mindfulness, gut health, spirituality, movement, and so much more. Are you living up to your full capacity? Well, stay here, have a listen, and maybe expand your world a little bit. Now on to this week's show. So today, I welcome to the podcast Amal is Mal. She describes herself as passionate about helping people, a biochemistry geek, lifelong learner, and mother. She's a certified functional medicine practitioner, health coach, and pharmacist out of London, England. Through her own battle with chronic fatigue, she utilized functional medicine to achieve her own optimized health, a story she shares with us in this conversation. But this podcast episode is packed full of incredible pearls of wisdom around hormone health for fertility and pregnancy. We talk about uncovering the laws of biology to treat the human body as an ecosystem. It's about creating health. Our conversation delves into her journey from big pharma to functional medicine, hormone balance, insulin resistance, detoxing your environment, how your thyroid affects your fertility and pregnancy, oxidative stress, mitochondria, our energy source at a cellular level, epigenetics and nutrition, infertility, and setting your body up for fertility at its best. We talk about testing, lifestyle shifts, and some great resources for those looking to address fertility issues at a cellular level and protecting your health. You will come away from this conversation with a deeper understanding of what it takes to create fertile soil for conception and a healthy pregnancy. I hope you enjoy this conversation because I sure did. Thanks for listening. Okay, so welcome Amal to Full Capacity Living Podcast. I'm really excited Thank to you. have you here. Mm -hmm. and. It's, it's fun to just have this connection with you because you and I met through Functional Medicine Coaching Academy and the Institute of Functional yeah. Medicine. And it's been how many years that we've known each other? Three, I think. Three, imagine. Three or four? 
four probably yeah four <laughs> I think four because yeah I the clinic for four and then I'm in private practice for two or I was at the clinic for two so that's crazy and yeah we haven't met in the same room but we are going to do that <laughs> yeah <laughs> one day post COVID right, <laughs> travel <right>. ban era <laughs> So, so welcome and thank you for agreeing to do this conversation around uh, fertility and pregnancy and, and all of the things that maybe conventional medicine doesn't really talk about that support all of that. And, and I do want to um, just invite you to, to talk a little bit about your journey and how you came from where you were in the corporate world. Um, and I mean, the world of medicine was always a big part of your life, right? With pharmacy, but absolutely. tell me, you know, where you came from, how you came to where you are and, and how the interest in functional medicine was sparked for you. Yeah, absolutely. Well, thank you so much for having me on your podcast. I'm so honored and very excited. And it's such a um, such an important topic that you are um, shedding light on today because um, as I was uh, prepping last week for a, a webinar I did on on this topic um, here, it, sort of in the in the European sort of Middle Eastern area, and I was looking at some of the data. I know in in, um, in the U.S. some of the figures might be a little bit higher, but certainly according to the WHO, um, one in four couples in developing countries have been found to be affected by fertility. So it's a pretty huge huge number. Oh my God! Um, yeah, that is. Yeah. And you're right, the numbers might be, and I should have said in the beginning that you are coming to us from London. Yes, <laughs> from lockdown London. Um, <laughs> but yeah, so I think that um, it's such an important topic for us to be talking about because often um, the only um, or the commonly available option when uh, couples are facing uh, infertility issues or difficulty conceiving is always going down um, you know, the invasive routes of IVF and so on. Um, when in fact, there's a lot we can do um, prior to um, getting to that stage. And even if we get to that stage, there's also a lot we can do to maximize the success because even going down those interventions are, are not that easy um, and you're not guaranteed success. So I'm so excited to talk about this today because um, for me, fertility was a challenging topic because to be honest, like most women, we don't think about it until it's time, the time right. to think about it, right? right, right <laughs> so, right. you know, you're kind of, you know, going about your life and then you get married and you're like, oh yeah, it's time to get pregnant. And then you start trying and then you're like, hang on a second, this is not happening. Is there something wrong? And you, you know, it doesn't click. Um, and then this is when, um, you know, worry and, and stress starts to um, settle in. And that for me was a you know big thing where um, my husband and I were trying maybe for uh, probably over six months or so, and then we had um, we had a miscarriage and um, you know that was really not an early miscarriage. It wasn't a very of course pleasant experience. Um, and when I went to my um, uh, physician at the time, my gynecologist because he was very aware of my lifestyle, very stressful, lots of travel, mm. um, even though I was quite healthy in terms of my nutrition and exercising regularly, but it was probably the wrong type of exercise, adding more to my stress, um, probably nutritionally not um, uh, having enough, um, even though it was you know, a clean diet and so on. Um, he said, if you continue on this path, this is, conception is going to be very diff difficult. And for me, that was kind of... Um, 
uh, a wake-up call to really consider how lifestyle ha can have a significant impact on your um, your chances for fertility, especially that I have no anatomical issues, you know, my cycles are regular, um, um, you know, my husband has um, no issues from a, con a conception perspective, so, you know, from a fertility perspective, so it was, um, for me, it was a really eye-opening um, experience, and at the time, I was studying functional medicine, so, um, um, yeah, it was the beginning of my journey in functional medicine, and I thought, well, this is a sign. <laughs> so this was um, a conventional doctor, a, a traditional yeah. doctor that did this? Wow. Yeah. 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 So I, I liked him. I used to go to him a lot because his approach was very holistic and um, he yeah. wasn't kind of going down the um, chemical route very fast. Um, which That's not typical of what we might see here in the U.S. Not that there are, you know, OBGYNs that, that are more holistic. It's just not the typical thing for them to say, oh, stress and health and maybe the wrong type of exercise and, and wrong nutrition would be factors. That doesn't really come up. No, it often doesn't. Um, and, you know, often the, I mean, especially when you were in a teenage years, you've, you've had, like I had PCOS when I was younger, um, which is hugely on the rise. I mean, I see this on the clinic on a, on a weekly basis. Right. Um, you know, 16-year-olds, 14-year-olds, you know, um, with PCOS and or even 20, 30-year-olds with PCOS and have been on the pill for 10, 20 years. And it's just, it's crazy. So, um, so for me, I was, um, for me, that was at the turning point when I kind of dove into the world of functional medicine even more. I was studying to get my certification through IFM. Um, and, um, you know, and I just started to change everything from, um, from my lifestyle in terms of, uh, prioritizing sleep, doing more restorative, uh, training exercise, uh, focusing on my supplementation, uh, reducing oxidative stress in my body. Um, uh, I, you know, I've, I've changed my career. Of course, I was, I used to work with, um, pharma, um, on the consulting side, uh, mm -hmm. working on clinical trials and strategy work. And so, um, you know, the travel reduced significantly. Um, and yeah, and we managed to have a healthy, um, natural pregnancy, which was really enjoyable. And, um, you know, with a, you know, with a very um, simple delivery. And, you know, now we have a, a you know, almost a three year old, and we're just oh, so thrilled. Yeah, yeah. And, and even just her health has, um, has really flourished because of all the uh, old all that I've learned through functional medicine and the tools that the knowledge and the tools that allowed me to give me the confidence um, to get pregnant, um, to support myself during pregnancy and post-pregnancy and to support my um, daughter's health. So when, when you think about the life that you had in big pharma, right, which you, you spent a lot of time in, in your education, getting to where you were, how did you come to the place where you decided that that was something that needed to change in your life? Uh, you know, that, that's a big draw for a lot of people. A high-powered executive job, you're traveling a lot, you're probably making a really good salary. Absolutely, and yeah. Giving that up is a really hard choice. How did you come to that? Even you, because you came to it before you became before you decided you want to get pregnant, right? Or no? Yeah, 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 I did, yeah. I think that the biggest um, uh, driver for me was the fact um, that I didn't feel fulfilled. Mm -hmm. And uh, even though I was successful, 
in the traditional terms <laughs> or what we normally deem success. Um, uh, I didn't feel fulfilled because the reason I went into healthcare because I genuinely wanted to make a difference in people's life. I really wanted to help the patient overcome uh, their health challenges. And while working with pharma, um, you know, they, they do a phenomenal job at uh, providing uh, treatments that otherwise, you know, for diseases that otherwise could not be cured, mm-hmm. um, definitely have Im- improved our, um, you know, longevity in terms of our, our lifespan. You know, we can live longer, we can treat uh, major conditions, we can treat acute uh, conditions and so on. So there's a lot to be said about the innovation um, and achievement there. But right. when it comes to chronic conditions, I think um, that becomes the, the, the story there is a lot more challenging because we are trying to fix a problem that has been years in the making. So when we talk about diabetes or unexplained fertility or PCOS, or these are syndromes, they're not a, they're not a disease, right? Mm-hmm. And so, um, and they often are kind of the end of the line. It's been years in the making of um, imbalance and dysfunction in your internal biology and biochemistry that led to the manifestation of eventually what we call diabetes or, um, or PCOS or so on. So I think that um, when I was working on those clinical trials, when I was working um, uh, with patients, because I used to do patient pathway redesign, um, I used to feel a little bit of frustration because I felt that when I was hearing the patient stories, um, I was saying, but this is not the solution. I mean, it might be a good tool in your toolbox, but certainly your lifestyle um, has a massive uh, factor because most of, you know, a lot of patients we dealt with were either were, especially like in the diabetes world, they were, you know, overweight, they had a lot of stress, nutrition was poor, so on, mm-hmm. that, you know, nobody ever talks to them about it. And I was a big advocate on all the projects I worked on with pharma is to uh, develop those wraparound uh, offerings with with the, with the pill that they're marketing to say, wh- why don't we go beyond the pill approach and think about how we can optimize the care of the patient by providing um, supportive care uh, mm-hmm. around nutrition, around lifestyle and so on. Um, of course, this is very complex to be able to deliver, yeah. uh, you know, from a, <laughs> from a corporate uh, perspective. But at least, um, you know, there was a definitely an appetite for it because, you know, ultimately to, to get a, a more success with your, with your drug, you really need to work on those underlying factors. Mm-hmm. And most yeah. often the case when you go to a, um, a traditional or conventional practitioner, you know, nutrition or lifestyle is, is an afterthought or a side note. Um, So exercise more. What does that even mean, right? (laughs) Or or eat healthier. What does that mean? More is not the key, right? Because you said you were doing the wrong type of exercise and you needed something more restorative. So absolutely. Yeah. yeah. So you weren't feeling fulfilled. You knew that that lifestyle piece and, and, you know, the lifestyle piece is, is really the heart and soul, the mind and body of functional medicine. So so that kind of led you there. I want to just go back and, and grab that PCOS and talk a little bit about what that is, um, just so people understand um, what that means if somebody doesn't, um, but also kind of move into, um, you know, what is what are some of the things that in terms of fertility we need to think about? Because you did talk about, oh, wrong type of exercise. Nutritionally, I wasn't eating enough. Um, 
how do we even know those things, right? We think, oh, we yep. just need to exercise and we need to eat healthy food. And, but there are nuances to some of these things that really are important to think about. So PCOS, yep. what, what's that? Uh, so that's uh, polycystic ovarian syndrome. Mm -hmm. uh, and it, it often the biggest driver of uh, this disorder is um, insulin resistance. So that's when your inability to regulate your blood sugar very effectively. And that drives an imbalance in your hormones where you end up with um, often high androgens, so high levels of testosterone, um, and uh, sometimes, and then low progesterone. It varies, uh, PCOS picture varies. So you can have cysts on your ovaries or no cysts. You can have um, androgen-driven uh, uh, PCOS where you have very high testosterone, or you can have a PCOS where you're not ovulating so that you have very suppressed progesterone and you have an estrogen dominance picture. So it varies, but essentially what it means is it's, um, it's an imbalance in your um, hormone cycle uh, that is impacting um, your health and of course your fertility. Yeah. Um, but the biggest driver of it is normally insulin resistance um, and also stress, adrenal, adrenal health. Yes, yeah, so Very stress and so we know the stress piece, right? How does stress get there? And that doesn't mean like, you know, major huge events in your life. It can be chronic and usually it is chronic daily stress. What is the, yeah. um, the driver of the insulin resistance? Um, so the driver of insulin resistance is actually it increases um, the production of androgens. So you have increased in testosterone um, and you have an increase in also the, the metabolites of um, DHEA, which is the precursor to testosterone. And then you produce something called DHT and DHT is where we come and see is the driver of cystic acne and gray and, and um, hair being uh, um, overgrowth of hair in unwanted places like on the chin or the chest. Mm -hmm. um, it also insulin resistance um, uh, would impact your progesterone um, estrogen balance. So really where insulin resistance comes, insulin resistance in its essence um, is driven by your nutrition, your meal pattern, what you eat and your sleep because sleep is absolutely critical. If you are, um, you actually build your insulin sensitivity, uh, you create that in, during your sleep. So if you have poor sleep, you become less insulin sensitive and that throws off the balance of um, all your metabolic regulating hormones uh, such as leptin and ghrelin, your satiety and hunger hormones and so on. So what happens is after, I think it was, um, I read the statistic in, in the paper once, was one, uh, one poor night sleep reduces your insulin sensitivity by 40%. Wow, wow. Yeah. <laughs> and, and I think, and you can notice that because if you've had one night sleep, you wake up the next morning, you're craving carbs and sugar. Um, so you, th that's a, big sign. I mean, a big sign of insulin resistance. First thing I often ask my patients is, do you feel any different in your function um, after a meal? Whether it's you, you perk up or you um, feel fatigued, mm -hmm. that means you have an imbalance. Either you're yeah. going down the hypoglycemia um, scale or you're going towards the hyperglycemia insulin resistance scale. So if, if you have a change in function, you know that your insulin is not balanced throughout the day. And that has a major impact on um, the balance of all your other hormones because insulin is the master regulator. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, I love what you're telling us here because what's really important, um, 
you know, it's a cascade, like everything affects everything. It's systems, right? You can't just nitpick and go, oh, you know, my insulin is off. Maybe I have to do this, right? But I think what's interesting, sometimes I have patients who have an external um, blood glucose monitor and it's so amazing for them to see, they'll say, oh, I don't know why my insulin was like off today. Well, how was your sleep last night? And (laughs) and when they start to connect that, it's, it's like, wow, okay, now I really have like biofeedback here, but you're saying you don't, I mean, you know, unless you have diabetes, you don't really need one of those monitors, but you, you have like these little signs and symptoms that you can start to look at in your life. And I remember I was hypoglycemic all the time. Yeah. Um, and, and it was crazy. I didn't have any idea what that was from. Um, but the imbalance in hormones, the nutrition, the meal patterns, tell me a little bit more about um, nutrition and meal patterns. Um, yeah. You know, yeah, so I think that um, uh, one of the things I would just wanted to pick on what you mentioned, it's about the systems biology approach. One of my favorite quotes from Dr. Mark Hyman is when he talks about functional medicine is he said that with functional medicine, we aim to uncover the laws of biology. So you want to treat the human body as an ecosystem and, um, and it's about creating health, not curing illness. Yeah. So instead of, um, instead of being... Uh, because the human body is so fascinating and it's so complex and there are laws and rules that, uh, in which it's governed by, right? Biochemical rules right. and bio- right. biology rules. So I think when we try to, under- when we understand those and we work with them, we work with those laws and we optimize them, we can achieve wellness. And this is the, the, whole, um, the whole premise of functional medicine. And that's why insulin resistance is such a, is such a common um, underlying issue in most chronic disorders because it really starts there because every action you do on a daily basis acts as a biological trigger in your body. It's a message. So, yeah. you know, the way you sleep, when you sleep, how you sleep, what you eat, when you eat, all really important. So when we talk about meal patterns, um, I commonly see that a lot of uh, people come to me, they're like, oh, I have a really healthy diet. You know, I always skip breakfast. I'm doing, you know, like these long intermittent fasts, but that's really challenging on the body because actually you want to ha- do your intermittent fasts. Uh, not intermittent fasting is not appropriate for everyone, especially if you have issues with hypoglycemia. Right. You know, you don't want to start there, so always work with somebody before you kind of jump into it. But uh, w- with a professional. But essentially, when you're doing when you're doing fasting, you want to work with what we call the body's natural rhythms. So they're peripheral clocks that kind of sync to our circadian rhythm. Everything in our body is controlled by that circadian rhythm. And um, in the Chinese medicine, this is pretty big. But, you know, when when we talk about the gut, the gut's peripheral clock or the timing in which the optimal timing when it's ready to receive and digest and absorb food is normally between 10 a.m. and 4 p.m. So when, when we have our biggest meals in the evening, um, we are putting tremendous pressure on our on our body because a the gut is not ready or primed to receive that large meal to digest it. Yeah. Um, a lot of energy is then redirected towards the gut to support with that digestion instead of preparing for detoxification at night. Yeah. So you're stripping your body uh, from the energy it needs to actually repair you and heal you, ready to take on the challenges for the next day. So you end up with this domino. Um, negative effect 
down the line. Yeah. So actually, I always advise my patient, don't skip breakfast, have a healthy breakfast, you know, don't um, take, you know, don't spend more than three hours without any food. So we can maintain a healthy um, insulin balance, always have uh, balanced meals that contain fi high fiber with protein and carb in them. Mm -hmm. And there was an interesting study that showed if you introduce your carb halfway through the meal, so after you've eaten your protein and fiber from vegetable, you actually reduce the insulin spike um, that would occur from, from carbohydrates. Yeah. Um, and you want to make sure that you're at least not eating two to three hours before bedtime um, to allow your gut to, your, your bowels to clear, right? So your, your digestion to clear and then that you have most of this energy reserved for detoxification and repair, which we actually need, yeah. um, and the production of hormones. So it's, um, it's, it's a very, because, you know, there's so much information out there right now. Um, and, you know, which diet should you follow? What type of fasting should you follow? You know, it, it's really confusing for people. And I, and I completely understand. And for me, I'm constantly researching about it. And there's no one solution for, one, for, for everyone. No, and for each different issue that people are really um, struggling with. I think that there are, there are fluid different ways that you can think about the way that you eat and the type of food that you're eating and the schedule. Like I know in, in uh, the blue zones with Dan Buettner, I feel like I, I've referenced that all the time, but he talks about um, breakfast like a king, lunch like yes. a prince and dinner like a pauper. Yeah, so that absolutely. you're gradually like eating less and less as the day goes on, which is so different than the way that we eat here in the U.S. Our, our meals are the biggest meal is dinner and it's usually around eight for a lot of people and or nine sometimes and it can be so challenging to fit that into like you're not saying you have to have dinner at four but what you're saying is like keep it in a smaller amount of time eat a little bit less at night um, eat a little bit more during breakfast and dinner or breakfast and lunch. Breakfast and lunch, for sure, because your body is more primed for it. And remember that um, if you follow the cortisol pattern that's released throughout the day, you know, cortisol is released within the first 30 minutes of waking up. Yeah. And cortisol, you know, well, sometimes gets a bad rep. It's a very, very important hormone. Yeah. It's our, what helps us function um, throughout the day. And it naturally spikes and then it has to uh, dip uh, up to, you know, almost nothing by the end of the evening, by 10, 10, 11 p.m. So that then melatonin can go up and that will help us um, go through the night part of our circadian rhythm. Um, when you don't eat in the morning, you are causing more stress and more cortisol release. More cortisol release means more sugar is released into your bloodstream. And as a result, then the pancreas responds by releasing more insulin. And, <laughs> and there becomes this vicious cycle where you start to develop insulin resistance because then the, there's so much sugar in the, um, in the environment, the cells are full there's insulin messages going to the receptor saying, please take on more glucose and cells going, I can't take anymore. And so now we have, yeah, and now we have metabolic imbalance. Yeah. So, so that's why it's, um, there's a lot of unhealthy, healthy advice going around. Um, and it's really important to, um, you know, understand your body and, um, and tune into those cues, such as the simple thing. If you're, if you feel you need uh, coffee to wake up, or if you feel that after a meal, um, your function changes, or if you feel that you get hangry, uh, you know, if you don't eat for, these are all signs that you are not metabolically balanced. And I'm a huge fan, by the way, of um, 
um, uh, 24-hour sort of glucose monitors. Because I think even if you're not diabetic, I think it's a great way um, to understand the impact of your daily activities on your uh, metabolic health. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I think, um, so do you recommend that sometimes for your, your patients? I do, okay. I do. Yeah, I do. I'm waiting on mine. <laughs> <laughs> I'm very oh. interested to see. Well, that, that begs to the question, um, share with me what your, your nutritional pattern was prior to talking to your physician. When you were stressed at work and when you were traveling a lot, tell me what was off with your nutrition. Share how that shifted for you. Sure. Yeah, that's a great question. So I think for me, the biggest thing was I always had a great breakfast because um, I'm, a, I'm a breakfast person. So I love it. I know the value and the importance of it. So that was um, uh, that was always there. I think lunch was the meal that was often missed or I had to have it on the go. So again, there's really no presence when I'm eating. So I'm probably not digesting or absorbing it effectively. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, activating that cephalic phase of digestion before preparing the gut, releasing all the juicy enzymes to break everything down. None of that was happening because I was either on the go or in a plane or in a meeting. And so, you know, you're kind of like shoving some salad <laughs> down your throat really fast. So that was pretty... Um, uh, that was always a missed one. And so by the time dinner came around, even though I never had dinner pretty late, but um, it was, I was so exhausted. And so, you know, I was already dipping into that hypoglycemia stage and then I'm eating a meal and then I'm feeling heavy and I'm, I'm so exhausted, I'm going to bed. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So definitely there was no regularity in my meal pattern, even though I was not, I was avoiding gluten and dairy and sugar and all of that because the reason I came into functional medicine is because I suffered with chronic fatigue in the past. And, mm. um, and that's how I, you know, um, healed myself is through, through functional medicine. So I, I, you know, I followed a very healthy diet, right. In, in, yeah. in quotes, right. um, in terms of avoiding, you know, having a very anti-inflammatory diet, um, very healthy, high in fiber, all of that stuff, but it wasn't, it wasn't nutritionally sufficient. It was definitely bad, meal timing and it was mixed in with high stress and poor sleep oh i think that's so key for what you're saying here because most people don't realize that there is such a strong component in how you bring that food to your body and it's in that stress state as you said you're not allowing your body to create those digestive enzymes to break the food down and so then you you feel heavy you feel like your food isn't being digested And mostly because it's not because you're not eating really good food, like you can eat the best food in the world, but if your body's not digesting it and absorbing the nutrients, then what could it be, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. So the stress piece of it. So, so tell me a little bit about what you recommend people do um, to limit that stress around the eating um, experience. So uh, I think the is creating presence is the first thing. So one, um, the first thing I mentioned is before you eat, just take one minute to do some deep breathing, just to signal to your brain that I'm about to sit down and eat. Yeah. Um, and then, you know, if you can eat away from a screen, that's always advisable, <laughs> away from the TV, because <laughs> often most of the time you overeat 
when you are watching TV in the evenings because you're not um, in tune to the cues of your body. You're not in tune to the satiety um, signals and the hunger signals uh, of your hormones. Um, and then, as I mentioned, it's meal timing. So I often really explain to my patients, you know, we need to work on your meal timings. We want them roughly to be around the same time daily. You're, you know, I always say the body is like a baby. It really loves routine. It yes. loves it and it thrives on it. Yes. So if we don't provide it with routine, we really throw off that circadian rhythm completely out of balance. And everything runs according to that circadian rhythm. When your hormones are released, when your immune system, uh, how your immune system functions, you know, um, uh, your, your digestive enzymes, all of that, all of that is really controlled by that circadian rhythm. And so if that's out of balance, the body no longer knows what to expect and what to do. Yeah, yeah. So these things, the nutrition, the sleep, the, the stress piece, all can lead to, um, as you're talking about that insulin resistance and, and the start of, of PCOS, which can be, you know, part of- A reason for infertility. Yeah, and fertility. What else do you see impacts uh, fertility as, as people are sort of just going through their regular life and feeling like, okay, I'm married, now it's time to have a kid. What's going on? So- I think one factor that doesn't get mentioned a lot, um, there are two things. One is mitochondria, and then the second is oxidative stress. Mm -hmm. The one I want to talk about is mitochondria. So the, the process of, when we think about fertility, the process of conception, um, which is from ovulation to implantation, requires four steps. You need to ovulate, have a healthy egg, then it needs to be fertilized by a healthy sperm, and then it has to be transported through the tube and then it needs to be implanted in a healthy endometrium wall. Mm -hmm. um, this process is very energetically expensive. It requires a lot and a lot, a lot of ATP, which is our energy currency that produced by mitochondria. And what is mitochondria? Mitochondria is the little um, factories inside our every, every cell in your body that produces energy. And without it, none of the cells can function. You will not, you'll cease to exist, right? So we need, we need that energy. And um, so we know that there's an age-related decline in mitochondria function and, you, and, and we see that there's damage to mitochondrial DNA with age and of course with un environmental exposure and so on. But it, what's, it's for, me, if for me, when people are talking, when, when, I, when I do my workups for fertility patients, I'm really looking at the health of their mitochondria because if their mitochondria is struggling, then that's a biomarker of poor egg quality. The same for males, by the way, mm -hmm. uh, poor sperm quality, because, you know, um, for me, even when I was looking at the, at the stats, um, a third of, um, of infertility uh, issues occur because of male factors. Oh, wow. And a third is from female, and the last third is either from both partners or it's unexplained. Mm -hmm. So the, the male component is often... Um, missed because it always comes as the woman <laughs> and it's the responsibility of the woman to bear the child right, right. but actually the, the the male component is really important and should always be assessed at the same time but th this is where mitochondria becomes really important because um there is um it, it's a it's a it's a biomarker for egg quality and embryo vi viability and it's um and it's also a marker of um, sperm uh, quality and motility. Okay, so if um, in IVF setting, so this is where they've kind of studied all of this. Um, 
the success of the embryo depends on the mitochondrial function. So the, the healthier the mitochondria of that egg, the healthier the chance that it will fertilize and the healthier that this embryo will survive. So that's why it's really critical. So um, what the, the challenge is, is that mitochondria are very, very sensitive. So they're impacted by um, uh, your environment. So if you eat bad food, like um, inflammatory food, high sugar, carbs, um, uh, you know, bad carbs, um, uh, if you have lots of gluten, alcohol, coffee, so on, um, if you have poor sleep, if you do not exercise, you have sedentary lifestyle, if you have extreme amounts of stress or chronic stress, all of those damage your mitochondria. So you either end up with low quality uh, mitochondria or low numbers of mitochondria. Either, or, either way, you're producing very, very low amounts of uh, energy. How do you test for mitochondria? What, what are your testing uh, tools? So yeah, so for mitochondrial function, we normally do an organics panel. So we're looking at the organic acids. Um, so it's a, it's a nutritional assessment and we're literally looking at the Krebs cycle. So that's, um, if you remember from biology days, that's how mitochondria produces energy. <laughs> and we're looking at, um, are there any deficiencies in any of the cofactors needed to make that engine run? And if there are deficiencies, then we can see that it's not running effectively. Good, good. So that's a very easy way to measure and look at mitochondrial function. And it's an important one that we do for a fertility workup. And that's a urine test that you can do, you know, in the yes, comfort of your own home, but you do need to have a yeah. functional medicine provider um, ordering that for you. So yeah, that's, that's, oh, Absolutely. what a fantastic like explanation about mitochondria and energy and the things that impact it. We, again, we go back to your environment, your food, your sleep, your stress, all of those things that, that we know affect so many different systems in our body. So you also wanted to talk about what was your second one, mitochondria and oxidative stress? Um, I wanted to talk about oxidative stress. So, um, so oxidative stress, let, uh, let me try and explain that um, in the easiest way possible. So oxidative stress is when you have, um, when you have exposure, um, when you have exposure to a lot of um, stress, so oxidative stress describes basically when you have an imbalance between what we call reactive species and antioxidants, okay? And so that's when, let's to give you an analogy. So you're living in a home and you have a lot of dust and dirt, okay? And your hoover is essentially your antioxidant. It comes in and hoovers everything and leaves it clean. So every day you open your windows and then all this dust and pollution comes into your house. And then at the end of the day, you need to wipe it and dust it and hoover it. If your antioxidant capacity is lower um, than the amount of oxygen species, so the dirt and dust, then you end up with oxidative stress. Ah, you don't, you, you, you have high stress. Yeah. So, and it's increased, oxidative stress is increased by things like high sugar, processed food, um, low antioxidant intake, obesity, smoking, environmental toxins, like exposure to plastics and heavy metals and pesticides and so on. Um, hormonal imbalance, they drive oxidative stress, um, infections, alcohol, medication, and so on. So, um, a lot of uh, studies that were investigating women with unexplained infertility showed that higher levels of oxidative stress markers 
and lower levels of antioxidant capacity in the fluid that lines the membranes of their abdomen and pelvis was was very was evident. Wow. Okay. And that creates a very negative environment for um, for the survival of the embryo. Again, another really um, you know deep dive, interesting place to really think about because people don't don't pay attention to that. And I love your Hoover example. That's a great one because it yeah. this makes it easy for people to understand. Well, how is it that I'm going to get some of these things out of here? So. So in, in real life, the Hoover represents what? Pulling toxins out of my, my environment, getting rid of plastics, getting rid of you know, anything that might be impacting me, eating a better um, diet, getting rid of sugar. Yeah, so, yeah, so there's absolutely, you're right. So, all the, so there's things that you do in order to de- detox your environment, to keep it clean, to you know, avoid... Um, exposure to pesticides, avoid exposures to pollutants, don't use plastics in your um, kitchen, you know, don't use Teflon for cooking ware, um, you know, make sure that the makeup you use is, um, you know, is clean, um, free of toxic uh, chemicals and so on. But also really important is nutrition because you want to up your level of antioxidant capacity, right? So that's your vitamin C and E and A and, um, you know, and your uh, glutathione and your knack and all of these things um, are really important. And those are very much driven by your nutrition. So the more variety of fruits and vegetables that you have in your diet, the higher your antioxidant um, reserve is. Um, and especially the, the, you know, you think about the variety of color. Color is where antioxidants come from. Mm-hmm. And one of the really most most important um, antioxidant in the body and most critical for fertility is glutathione, which is made up of a combination of amino acids, cysteine, glycine, and glutamine. And they basically all get smushed together, and then you end up with this big time antioxidant. Think of it as your you know the Dyson of your Hoover's, right? It's really really important. And so, if one or most, uh, so it's um, so this is one is the most important one in the follicular fluid and it actually helps the egg um, develop. So when you have low levels of glutathione and if you have low levels, then the egg quality drops. Mm -hmm. So it's really important. Same thing, by the way, for sperm, same thing for sperm. So even for when I work with couples, I, even if the, you know, even if we do a sperm analysis for the male and everything comes back relatively good, you know, there's no no concern. I still put them on antioxidant support because they're likely will benefit because they are still experiencing high stress. They are, you know, having uh, irregular sleep. They are drinking probably lots of coffee, which is quite bad for um, sperm health, you know, um, and so on, you know, or wearing very tight uh, fitted jeans all the time, or they're having their phones in their pockets. So there's, you know, exposure to EMFs on a regular basis because, you know, the testes are very, very sensitive. And yeah. so as a result, the, there's a big impact um, on, on sperm quality um, and motility and so on. So, so glutathione is a really big marker. So that and that when when working with uh, women, um, uh, especially w- when we're, we're checking for their hormone health, I normally use the Dutch test because I really love the, the Dutch test. Yeah. And um, and of course, if they have irregular cycles, we're doing the Dutch cycle mapping first to understand what's going on with the cycle. Um, 
and to help regulate that because without a regular cycle, fertility becomes difficult. Um, so we can look at the ovulation window and if they're actually ovulating and so on. But then the Dutch Plus is where we look at the entire uh, stereogenic pathway and see what's happening with their hormones from synthesis all the way um, to breakdown. But the nice thing is you do get an insight into their glutathione levels and you get an insight into their oxidative stress. So there oh. is that these markers are measured in there. And that's a very good way for us to see, okay, well, we need to work um, we need to we need to work on upping that oxidative stress piece. Yeah, right. And and through um, through the environment, through food, I, I think the Dutch test is really an amazing um, tool for you to be able to use. Again, another um, dried urine test that you can do from the comfort of your own home, but um, that you have a yep. functional medicine provider because honestly, the results are just. Um, immense there's so much information that yes. you get from a, a dutch test you can't just do it and look at it and go oh now i know exactly what i need to do <laughs> no, no no you learn you learn all the time you learn all the, and they are the, i mean precision analytica are phenomenal and the uh, partner uh, labs that they work with are so great you know i'm always on the phone to to the medics there trying to um make sure that i get the most out of it in terms of um in terms of understanding what are the factors at play that are driving infertility in my patient? Yeah, you know, yeah. And what can we do to, you know, because it's very nuanced and you have to take it in the context of their lifestyle. Right. Well, and I think what you just did too was you went through a whole list of things that, that people can just do right now, right? You don't necessarily have to, from the get-go, go see a, a functional medicine provider. That is definitely something I think down the line, but, but there's so many things in lifestyle that you can start to do now. You can shift the way you're eating. You can, you can look at Deanna Minnick's information around all of the, the beautiful colors. I mean, she does so much work. Oh, yeah. You know, I'll, I'll put her in the show notes as well, but um, around how you can just have a plate full of, of food that has so much more color to it and, um, I love your comment about tight jeans and <laughs> so men stop wearing your tight jeans after you get married. It's not necessary anymore. Yeah. <laughs> um, and EMF, right? But it's, but it's, yeah, it's true. But even there's studies about, you know, driving, you know, um, uh, all these battery powered cars. And if, you know, most of the engines are under se underneath the, oh, um, the seats. And so there's a lot of, yeah, there's a lot of, um, radiation exposure, and that has an impact on um, on sp uh, sperm production. Wow. Okay, that's definitely something I had no idea about. Um, yeah. So, but even women. So, there's a lot of women, for example, you know, who um, also wear their phones in their pockets, or they w huh? wear their phones um, near their breasts, and we're seeing you know, higher exposure, you know, high, higher um, rates of, you know, cancerous tissue and so on because of EMF exposure. So, you know, it, it is a real risk and you have to take that into consideration, especially when, um, you know, when, when you're looking at, well, when, when for you longevity is important, you're looking at health span, not just your lifespan. Sure, exactly. Yeah, I have a friend who actually, we were going for a walk after rowing and she went to put her phone in her shirt right next to her breast and I said oh my gosh I'm not going on a walk with you if you do that put that phone in your car <laughs> she's like oh my God, what I said that is such a risk you don't know um it, it it's not something that people think about enough and I, I yeah. do think that's a really critical piece so 
Gosh, I mean, this is amazing, Amal. We've got so much information for people to really even start shifting what they're doing it today, right? I mean, there's yeah. Yeah. they don't have to know necessarily their levels of glutathione, but if glutathione is sort of the master detoxifier and the master in terms of oxidative stress, if you didn't have a test like this, um, you know, is there a risk for people going out and just buying glutathione or buying NAC and starting to take it? Because no. I think people will no. do it if they hear this, but tell us a little bit about that. No, there's no risk. I think that um, being on uh, b being on the precursor to glutathione, which is NAC and acetylcysteine, is very safe, um, and you can take it that on a regular basis and support your body's natural capacity to produce glutathione. Yeah. Um, of course, when we're dealing with issues, you know, with with um, health conditions, and we know that there is a deficiency in glutathione, or we need to support um, the body with additional um, antioxidant support, then that's when we supplement with glutathione. Glutathione tends to be a little bit more expensive. You need to dose it liposomally um, so that it's absorbed better. Uh, but NAC is a very um, cheap, accessible, and very safe uh, supplement to take um, to kind of reduce your overall um, or support your body in reducing oxidative stress. But it really starts with diet. You know, it starts with lifestyle. You can't out supplement a bad lifestyle. You know, you really need yeah. to work on your sleep, you need to work on your nutrition, you need to work on your exercise is so critical, mm -hmm. um, especially in fertility, be, be it on either side of the fence. So whether you're um, you having a sedentary lifestyle versus um, you overworking yourself, you know, so a very strenuous um, intensity on a regular basis exercise is also not so great for you. Right. And again, that's what I was experiencing because I was training very, very heavily um, because that was my stress reliever, but in fact, it was increasing my cortisol production and it was knocking out my mitochondria because exercise is a very easy way to boost your mitochondrial function. Mm -hmm. um, so if you are exercising, um, if you're not exercising at all, that's, you know, that's detrimental to your mitochondria. And if you're exercising too much, that's also detrimental to your mitochondria. But it also, either e either side of the spectrum, you're also impacting your insulin resistance as well and your blood sugar balance. So exercise is so critical. And I always say exercise needs to be holistic and restorative, i.e. you don't want to just do HIT and you don't want to just do uh, weight training. You want to do um, you want to do cardio, you want to do um, strength, you want to do balance, you want to do restorative, you know, so you want to combine, um, give your body variety, just like we need variety in nutrition, we need variety in exercise. Oh my gosh, yeah. And, and you know, it's interesting, because I talk to people about health coaching, and um, I think a lot of times people think it's, it's about exercising more. And I say, you know what, 90% of the time, I'm talking to people about exercising less. And yeah. <laughs> so thank you for saying that, because I think it is important. It's that balance of, you know, something that gets your body up and moving, but also something that's restorative and calming and, and yoga and, you know, stretching and, and body weight exercise, I think is, is super important, but holistic. It has to make you feel good. If you're not feeling yep. good when you do it, that's another sign. All of this is really talking about from even, you know, 20 minutes ago when you said, pay attention to the signs of your body. 
we've gotten so busy in our lives and our days that we just don't pay attention to what our bodies are telling us. And they're, they're telling us things on a, a regular basis. And so when you think about all of those pieces, sleep, nutrition, physical movement and exercise, stress, like look at all of those things in your life and say, where might I be out of balance where I could become a little more balanced? Um, and, yeah. and thanks for sharing that stuff about the precursor of um, glutathione being uh, an acetylcysteine. We'll put that in this, the show notes as well and that it's safe to take it if people feel like, even though the show is not about like the supplements, right? It's, it's about like, what you can do in your lifestyle um, and getting tested to make sure that you know where you are in some of these things. I just think it's important um, to let people know some of that stuff so that they understand that, uh, you know, what's safe and what you can do on your own, which, you know, exercise can increase your glutathione. So let's do that. Right. Yeah, so, absolutely. Um, Another thing that I want to highlight is thyroid health because um, thyroid health in fertility is really, really uh, important because, um, so what's really important to remember is you actually, your demand, when you get pregnant, your demand for thyroid hormone doubles oh, wow. to sustain the pregnancy and supports the growth of the fetus. So um, you're in, in uh, menstrual irregularities and fertility issues are commonly associated um, to a thyroid issue because approximately a third of the women really tend to experience subfertility due to um, thyroid. Mm -hmm. And this could be either because they have subclinical thyroidism or they have some autoimmunity, but, there's, but their thyroid is registering as normal and so on. And it kind of tends to, um, and it's not addressed, but it's actually one of the easiest things to address um, for women to support them with pregnancy. Oh, um, and the reason... Yeah, so the reason being is that low thyroid function, um, so when we think about for, for women, low thyroid um, hormones, so if you have low T4, then you can um, end up with a very short luteal phase, which is that's the second part of your menstrual cycle when your um, egg is released and progesterone is um, produced from the corpus luteum to kind of promote implantation and survival of the pregnancy should um, should fertilization occur. So you end up with a short-term luteal phase, you end up with faulty ovulation, you end up with increased risk of miscarriage. If you have antibodies like Hashimoto's, then that could lead um, to immunological impact that reduces fertilization and implantation. Mm -hmm. um, it can ris increase risk of miscarriage and it can increase the uh, chances for preterm birth and low birth weight. Okay. Uh, by the way, and this is really important for... Um, oh, and it's really important for women, even um, even when we're talking about uh, complications in pregnancy. So if you have unmanaged low thyroid, then you might have gestational hypertension, preeclampsia, and it can lead to postpartum depression later down the line. Oh, wow. For, Super important. For, for, yeah, really important. And often also ignored for men because low thyroid function tends to drive low sperm count and poor quality and motility and erectile dysfunction and low libido. Well, there you go. I mean, so, that's something that nobody really talks about, the thyroid with men. I mean, again, exactly. you know, it's, it's, it's not something, I mean, the, the mo I just did a show on thyroid, um, a podcast that I just released last week. And it, you know, we focus primarily on women. Um, but the, the reality is that there are men out there that have thyroid issues. And, and absolutely. 
it's not functioning well. So you brought up a couple of things, which I really do kind of want to move to as well, like pregnancy, like as when you're pregnant yeah. and taking care of yourself when you're pregnant and postpartum. I think those are two things that are so important because you get pregnant and then there's all this joy around that. And then there's also some worry, right? But there are yeah. you know, all of the things that we talked about lifestyle wise are still things to pay attention to as you're pregnant and when you get into the, the postpartum piece of it. Um, but is there anything else that you would say around um, that actual pregnancy time, you know, moving into um, carrying the baby and anything that you're shifting, what would you shift a little bit in those, in that time that would be supportive of that, that baby and mom? Yeah. So I would, um, I love the, the work of Dr. Leslie Stone and her daughter, Emily, um, uh, Emily Redborn, okay. Redborn, I believe her, yeah, who, who developed um, the Grow Baby Health and they're just phenomenal, phenomenal. I encourage any woman who's planning to get pregnant or is pregnant to go to that uh, website and learn because they have a lot of uh, amazing resources uh, for women, um, for pregnant women on how to optimize their nutrition um, oh. during pregnancy. Okay. And it's uh, very much rooted in science um, as well as uh, research because they've also looked at epigenetic effects um, of, nu of nutrition in preventing uh, the four common um, phenotypes that increase risk of childhood illness in the future, which is, um, you know, uh, preterm birth, low for gestational, a um, low for just low gestational um, weight or um, high for uh, high weight. So high weight, low weight, um, preterm birth. Okay, so yeah, epigenetics so important. Let's just define that really quickly. Um... So that epigenetics is how your the expression of your genes based on the environment they're bathed in. Yep, perfect. So we often think that our genes is our destiny, but in fact, it's not. It's our environment. It's what our genes are, um, are bathed in. The environment in which we bathe our genes determines the expression of that gene, whether it turns on or or not. Okay. And I really like. Sorry. Go ahead. No, go ahead. Go ahead. Nothing important. No, I was just saying what um, I love what Dr. Um, uh, what both uh, Emily and, um, uh, and Dr. Leslie talk about is that the quality and the quantity of the nutrition you eat, the pollutants and the stress you expose your body to while pregnant will affect the generational health of your family. Because remember that it's it, when you're thinking about getting pregnant, it's not just about your child. It's about also your grandchildren, because that baby you're carrying, especially if it's a female, it's carrying already the, in her in her body. She's carrying the eggs for her own children. So there's a transgenerational link there um, that's really important to think about. Wow, that's beautiful. That's excellent. Grow baby health. I'm going to put that in the show notes as well because there's a lot of um, pearls of wisdom we're getting here from you. <laughs> <laughs> Thank so you. when you think about I, you know sometimes people get a little nervous about exercising when they're pregnant or um, doing some of the things that they might have done before. I think exercise is still really important to to maintain when you're when you're Absolutely. pregnant. Um, not to extreme levels. You're certainly not going to train for a, a you know a, a triathlon or anything like that while you're pregnant. But um, I know a lot of people that I I row with would still be rowing while they were you know six months. Absolutely, and, and it was fantastic. And so. 
how does that affect the, the fetus and the mom? Yeah, so again, again, it goes back to mitochondrial health, goes back to oxidative stress, goes back to uh, cardiovascular health, goes back to thyroid function, because exercise is so paramount because it has all these uh, best positive benefits on all of these systems that I just mentioned. Yeah. But it's really important and maintaining metabolic balance, of course. But it's it, with exercise, it's about your starting point. So if you've always been an athlete and you got pregnant, you can continue training. Of course, the early stages of pregnancy are always the most sensitive, those first three months. But you know, you want to exercise with caution so that you're not overexerting yourself. Yeah. Um, but however, it really is depending on your starting point. If you've been sedentary up to the point that you get pregnant, then you want to build up that exercise slowly. And there's loads of resources now for safe prenatal exercises that you can do, you know, Whenever, wherever level you are in, but at minimum, just go for walks on a daily basis, yeah. you know, squatting, you know, just doing squatting at every opportunity, you know, where, you know, you're making a cup of coffee or, you know, you're um, <laughs> watching your favorite show. Not only does it help, um, you know, not only is it a very good exercise that helps your cores and your glutes, and, but it actually supports you further down the line with um, delivery uh, right. because you're working on improving, you know, um, your hip um your hip health. So yeah. It's really important for that. Um, so I think that at minimum, you want to be able to be doing regular, um, regular exercise uh, and just keeping, keeping active, moving, not, not having a sedentary lifestyle, because that really improves the health of the oxygenation and um, blood flow and uh, mitochondrial function. So it's really important that we, um, we focus on exercise. Uh, and and then of course supported with nutrition. Yeah. Um, so let's slide into the postpartum world, and I know that's a big topic because um, just thinking about, I mean, if you're supporting yourself through all of this fertility and pregnancy, and then you move into the year, you know, you have the birth of your child, and um, there's a lot around postpartum that I think um, could be positive for people if they've got they're on this track already. But let's say that they're you know maybe they're a month away from delivery now and they're just hearing this now and, and they want to know, okay, how do I maintain this? Or what can I do around having my child and, and postpartum depression can be a part of that? What, what tell us a little bit about um, what might be helpful in that stage. So I think what you do in pregnancy very much impacts, um, you know, the development of the severity of postpartum depression, or if you occur in the first place. Um, there's also a whole, I don't know if we'll have time to get into this, but um, there's also genetic components um, that actually in um, with Grow Baby Health, they developed this phenomenal um, DNA uh, panel that you can run called Grow Baby, which really looks at uh, optimizing that whole um, uh, pregnancy, so pre, during, and post, uh, and looking at those enzymes. Again, they're, 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 and they're, they're genes that code for functions that are essential, like detoxification. Um, so, so, if you have those epigenetic or if you have those genetic uh, polymorphisms, those variations in your gene, you do, it shows you there's an increased risk. The beauty about it is that you can modify that right. uh, and the epigenetic expression through nutrition and exercise. Yeah. So um, what's really important is in pregnancy, really think really to caution that calorie restriction, dieting, intermittent fasting, 
um, irregular sleeping patterns, sedentary lifestyle, um, you know, and trying to detox are a big no-no. Any of these should not be, unless you are under the supervision of a healthcare professional and it, there is a need to do to do so. Because remember that, you know, you're, you don't want, there's, there's an immense amount of pressure on your body during pregnancy. You're, grow, you're growing another human. Yeah. So it's important that you um, focus on your well-being for the well-being of the child as well. But it, remember that if you try to detoxify during that period or try to go into calorie restriction or intermittent fasting, you're creating a lot of oxidative stress on the child and that has a significant um, damage on their developing organs. Um, especially that when you try to detox during pregnancy, you end up dumping all of your waste into the placenta. It's not actually going, the placenta becomes your dumping ground. Oh. So it's a very unsafe time to be doing any detoxification or house re <laughs> um, remodeling or any of that stuff. So yeah. you wanna definitely minimize that because uh, any of those things, if you apply them, uh, if you apply them, you risk impacting your mitochondria. And remember that your babies inherit their mitochondria from the mother. So yeah. the health of your mitochondria affects the health of your child. And, the and mitochondria is really important for their neurodevelopment and cognitive function. So if, um, if that's affected, you're risking um, uh, you know, issues with autism and ADHD and so on. But then it's also risking issues with postpartum depression for mom. Yeah. So yeah. it's really important that we focus on um, to prevent that is ensuring that you have um, healthy nutrition, healthy supplementation, um, things like a good prenatal multivitamin, mm -hmm. uh, fish oils, um, EPA and DHA to support uh, both mom and, and baby, as, which is important for cognitive function. Yeah. Um, vitamin D3, D3 levels need to be optimal uh, because that's really critical for development of so many major, uh, major organs um, in the baby. Um, glutathione, you know, all of these are really important um, uh, important supplements to take, but to remember food first. And this really helps maintain balance in mom's hormones, mom's metabolic function, uh, mom's well-being to prevent postpartum depression. But also talk about it. If, yeah. you're, if you're feeling low, don't be ashamed about, of it and lean on your friends and family and your NCT group because right. that's what they're there for. And it happens more often than people realize. So I think, thank you for saying, like, you know, talk about it. Um, but food first and all of these supplements, tell me um, optimal vitamin D, and then we're going to kind of move forward. Because it's different. Yeah, so vitamin, your optimal vitamin D levels, you want, you want them to be somewhere between 60 to 80. Okay, yeah, because that's very different than what a, a traditional physician would talk about. Um, we, we know that they yeah. actually... Um, are better at higher level. Sometimes people will say, oh, 35, you're good. You're not 12. <laughs> <laughs> no, but it's really important because it's important for pancreas production, immunity, the kidneys, their bones and muscles, the brain, like this, vitamin D is really the, such an essential vitamin. I mean, I mean it's, and it's been in the news so much now because of COVID and the importance of having adequate levels to prevention of, you know, preventing, um, severe COVID, um, you know, uh, infection and so yeah. on. Yeah. Oh, Amal, we could keep going forever. And I think I need to have you back to talk yeah. about like, 
you know, once the baby comes and, and breastfeeding and, you know, healthy life after pregnancy, um, I think that'll be our next one, don't you think? Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Um, Absolutely. Uh, I would love to. Thank you so much. Oh, this has been so phenomenal. It's always great to talk to you, but so much great information. And any of the things that you mentioned, I'm going to put into the show notes, like links to um, sure. the website that you talked about with Grow Baby Health and um, any of the other information that I think is helpful. But also tell us about like what you do and how people can get a hold of you. I know you're in London, but you still, you know, you work virtually. So... It's like you're in our backyard. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, <laughs> I think definitely that's one of the benefits of uh, this past year is that the world has moved into a virtual setup. And, you know, I feel it's a, a blessing in a way because it allowed um, me to work with people from all over the world, especially, um, you know, working with people from the Middle East uh, region and, you know, where functional medicine is not even, um, you know, it's not even at infancy level. Uh, and there's a lot of opportunities there to support um, uh, women and men and children and so on. So I'm really grateful. Uh, my practice is, although based in London, it's virtual, it's global. Um, and you can reach me, um, uh, you can reach me through my website on www.amalismail.com or you can email me at hello at Um I, my focus tends to be uh, on hormone health, be it male or female, gut health and autoimmunity. These are sort of generally the kind of what 90, what makes up 90% of my patient population at the moment. I do work with, of course, some uh, other conditions, but it tends to be, that's where, tends to be where most of the, our challenges these days are, right, yeah. um, which is not a surprise given our, given our lifestyle. And um, yeah, you can book a discovery call and learn more about what, um, uh, what functional medicine can do for you. Of course, um, you know, Karen is a phenomenal functional medicine health coach and we work together and it's, um, it's an important part of the functional medicine, your, your healing journey that you um, work with, um, you work with more than one uh, professional because just like it takes a village to raise a child, I say it takes a village to heal a patient. Okay. You need your practitioner, you need your coach, you need your nutritionist mm -hmm. because you know, you've been doing what you're doing for so many years and this, uh, all the changes are, might feel daunting and this is where um, the role of a team becomes so effective um, to help you thrive. Yeah. Beautiful. And I will have your website on there and the information of how people can get um, a hold of you. And you're also doing some webinars with um, Lady High, which I think is fantastic. I'm going to link that as well. Um, and people can go back and see those and understand and learn a little bit more um, about hormones and all the different stages. So Amal. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you so much. So I hope you found the hour plus episode well worth your time. There is so much to unpack with this one, right? And we could have we could have kept going. I mean, Amal is overflowing with details on the biochemistry of our bodies and the connection between lifestyle and biochemistry for supporting fertility. I truly hope you found this worthwhile. And if you know anyone who would benefit from hearing this conversation, please hit the share button on your 
Apple Podcast app or Spotify and send it their way. My mission with this podcast is to share as much as possible to, as Amal stated so eloquently from Dr. Mark Hyman, uncover the laws of biology and treat the human body as an ecosystem and create health so we don't have to worry about curing illness. Please check the show notes for all the links we mentioned in the podcast. And if you enjoyed this show, hop over to your library on Apple Podcasts and rate and review to help elevate Full Capacity Living Podcast and get the message out there. Thanks for listening. See you in two weeks with more inspiration to help you achieve full capacity living.